everyone. Welcome back to The Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFoe. And I'm Lorian McKenna. And today we're excited to chat with writer Lloyd Taylor. Lloyd is the writer of celebrated animated feature films, including the Saturn Award-nominated feature Spies in Disguise, one of my favorites, and Nimona, my new favorite, which is nominated for Best Animated Feature for the 2024 Oscars. Spectacular, Lloyd. Amazing. Yay, congratulations. Yay, Yay congratulations. And for which he and co-writer Robert Baird just won Best Writing in an Animated Feature at this year's Annie Awards. Woo! He most recently worked on Orion and the Dark, which just debuted on Netflix to excellent reviews. Hi, Lloyd, and welcome to the show. Hi, everybody. So great to see you and and uh, talk to you. I'm a huge fan of the show. Oh, that's so nice. It's so good. And some people just say that, but I think Lloyd actually is a fan because he yeah. can talk about episodes that he's heard. It's, it's true. You you want to talk about the lava episode? <laughs> no, not today. <laughs> Okay, not, not today. today. You will That's get into it. It always comes up. Yeah. It always comes up. Yes. All right, but before we get into asking Lloyd all of the questions that we have, he has agreed to participate in our adventures in screenwriting. So, Lorian, what happened this week? How are you doing? Uh, this week, I feel a little um, fragmented, broken, fractured, if you will. Not broken, fractured. Um, sometimes on the show or even on the Facebook group, people ask, how do you manage all your different projects and how do you decide what to work on? And I'm really wrestling with that right now because I have five projects that really feel like the priority and they're all development for me. Like I haven't engaged with anyone where there's any money attached to anything. So I'm having to wrestle with, well, if I work on this one and like this one's a animated TV one and then this one's a feature one for kids and this is a feature for adults. So like they all are in these very different spaces and they all require a different part of my brain. And so it's, it's hard to figure out what I'm supposed to be working on. And then I do that thing where I'm like, well, obviously I'm not going to do anything. And then I waste an afternoon, right? So this morning <laughs> I was very, okay, I'm going to get organized today. And I, you know, sent the list of all my projects to my manager with what I think is my priority because she's more connected to the industry. And I'm like, okay, I need feedback on this. Like, do you have you talked to any of these people like because some of them are pitches that need to happen and sort of set some goals for myself like I'll get you this by the end of the week and then I want you to review it and sort of trying to do that like producer brain thing with all my projects right next steps deadlines you know each one has its own thing but it makes me feel very accelerated and kind of breathless when I think about all of them you know so and the sort of unknown of uh, which one will work. And then the fear of, well, if I spend time doing this one, am I taking away from this one? And uh, and all of them have a little bit of heat on them. For me, like a producer is interested in getting my next draft or a pitch is coming up. So it's not like they're all sort of um, just specky specs, right? They all have something I'm supposed to deliver and it's really overwhelming. And I'm working very hard to take deep breaths and um, figure out what the fuck I'm supposed to be doing right now. And it's overwhelming, honestly. And I, I'm trying to sort through it. And I feel like such a fraud when I'm like, okay, well, here's what you do when I give advice to people who ask. And then here I am in the throes of, I don't know, it's a vortex. I need it's such a part of being an artist who's a contract employee. I mean, I, you yeah. know what I mean? I mean, I'm sure that if you were making cabinets and you had to be specking jobs, it would be the same. Like all these jobs are due and I can't. Like some part, it's just the nature of the beast of what we do, I think, yeah. except we have to, well, cabinet makers are also creative. I should not say they're not creative, 
But it's like, sometimes I'm like, can I just turn the tap on in this one and turn it off later? But it doesn't even work that way. Either. Yeah. Yeah. And they're all so different for different audiences, different mediums, different pieces of my lava I have to access. So it's like really different pieces of like all the, not the masks I wear, but all the identities that I struggle with. So then it becomes an identity crisis. Oh my God, I have to stop talking. Lloyd, how was your week? Uh, my week was pretty good. I, uh, uh, so I, I typed the end on Friday for the, Ooh, like the, the I'm so jealous. very rough pass, which is always like the best part of, of any screenplay for me. Just the first time you type the end. And then the worst part is knowing what comes next. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to page one and reading. That's right. That's it. Uh, so, yeah. So I've I've had a good week. And also, you know, I, I, I know exactly what I'm up against. It's a challenging project and uh, narratively trying some different things that I haven't really done before. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's interesting and, and cool and challenging. But, you know, now I have to dig in and. Uh, I, I hear you about the juggling stuff, Laurie, and like I, my brain can't handle it. Like I short circuit. I can kind of do one and a half things at a time. And by that, I mean one thing. Uh, so, you know, I get so overwhelmed every time I try to do anything more than like, you know, uh, basically one and a half things that I just shut down. <laughs> and I'm like, well, it's lunchtime. And after that, I got it. I should probably I'm going to pick up the kids today from school. Don't worry about it, honey. I got yeah. it. Yeah. And then it's like, I got to walk the dogs and whatever the yep. whole day is over. So, yeah. Yeah. I think for me, it's two you. things. And I think part of it too, is my fear of disappointing the other people on the other side who are yeah. either softly or hardly, you know, more generously expecting something from me. And then I'm disappointing myself. And then I feel like that whole, it's all very much tied to like the people pleaser. And, and I'm trying yeah. to lean back and be like, I'm the boss. I'm the boss of my projects and how I spend my time and I get to decide and I'm the main character and all of that. And then, but also then still be communicating about what I'm working on in a positive and professional way. And it's, uh, it's all of my skills being, being pushed here. So, well, so yeah. Lloyd, do you, do you just then take on one project at a time? Uh, I, I tend to like, like in the middle of one, I'm looking for the next, you know what I mean? Kind of like a house painter like right. you know you're you're painting the walls and you gotta and you're talking to the next door neighbor about uh what 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 their walls look like you know um and then there's always stuff i'm noodling around with in the background but uh in terms of yeah when i'm getting paid to do a gig i i'm all in you know uh until um, until it runs out <laughs> so, yeah 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 and yeah. that's always like the ticking clock too, right? Like how long have I been writing this? And <laughs> yeah, it's true. And it's so tricky because, you know, it takes umpteen drafts to get to the, to one where you feel like you can actually hand it in and feel good about it. And you're on the clock. So like, you know, you got 12 weeks or however long, eight weeks to, to, to write a draft. And that means like shitting out that first draft as quick as you can. And then find, trying to find some kind of perspective between Friday when you press, when you type the end and Monday, when you have to go back in, which is really tricky because it's not a lot of time, you know? Um, it's not a lot of time and you got to be willing to blow it up. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, luckily I've been working in animation almost exclusively for like, God, I think like seven years and, um, and everyone's really nice in animation and they, they understand the process and they, you know, every everyone holds hands and jumps out of the plane together. And uh, so there's a lot of understanding built into the process, I think. That said, there, you know, 
when you're writing an early draft where it's just me and I'm not in production, there is a, a, a ticking clock, there is pressure and, um, and you know, they're, they're, the executives, you can talk to them. There, there is a lifeline there, but you know, to a certain extent, you don't want to over, overdo it. Right. You um, don't want to keep going back. Right. Yeah. 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 So, I, I, I do love that about animation because um, often you're working with a director. So there's another person immediately there to oh, love that. Be yeah. helping the vision and which direction. And, you know, on this project I'm working on now, it's with my husband, who's my co-writer on this project. And it's about a marriage. So, you know, we're getting a <laughs> lot of good inspiration. Um, but it's literally you do. I sometimes you need even in a team for both of you to somebody's got to pick a pony right now you know what i mean like yeah. just for this version oh yeah which because otherwise you just go around and around and around and i love having a director because to me what the director eventually will do would be like okay those are all great ideas we've got a lot of toys on the table uh -huh. and they don't all go together so let's pick this main road let's pick this toy let's pick this pony whatever metaphor you want and then and just do a version like every my week is I we think we got a version come back in the morning and you realize oh no no you thought that but I thought that meant that and you realize that underneath what you both assumed the story was you have completely different context if that makes sense like let's say I thought it was going to be all happen in two nights and go bang 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 and you thought it was going to be a slow burn you know they weren't even going to figure it out till the midpoint again both are great versions but which version mm -hmm. are we doing Right. Or right. process problems like uh, I really like to get things on paper. And even if it's spitball ideas, I like to start finding shape. Right. Like, OK, well, what is the shape of this? What's the armature underneath this? These are, whereas uh, he really likes like in working with Pete Doctor, a lot of people I worked with just idea generation. But which I know, you know, you know, Lloyd in animation, there's those idea generation mm -hmm. people who are just like or this or that or this or that and my brain starts to go wait 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 what are we doing what are we doing what are we doing oh, and yeah. they're both valid and you need both but what happens with for this particular project which is incredibly challenging and even the buyer the producers told us this is incredibly challenging so there everybody's aware of it it just keeps turning to dust in our hands it just keeps turning yeah. to dust and i'm finding the angst is rising every pile of dust that we create <laughs> because you're like we got it that's it yeah no yeah yeah that's are... a a terrible feeling uh you're killing and... vampires meg you're just killing oh the vampires you're God. killing the versions that are sucking the lifeblood out of it so you're killing they turn to dust you move on right i know but then it's i gotta build simple. a whole new vampire yeah i know and those vampires yeah they they suck life out of you no matter what yep yeah uh, they get you and then you kill them <laughs> Right. And then they keep on sucking the life out of you. <laughs> now, Lloyd, when you're in animation, I, I don't know what your experience was like. And we did work for a hot second on something together for a minute. Uh -huh. um, do you get overwhelmed by the idea generation or do um, you like jump in and love to just spend? Let's spend today just saying whatever comes into our head. How do you where does your brain go? How do you manage it? all? I love putting everything on the table every time for about a week. And then after that, it starts to, you start to feel like you're treading water and, and then people are talking just to talk and, and, and we're not sure why we're there anymore. And we kind of start to cover things in tangent, tangential ways, having the same conversation laterally, you know what I mean? Um, but uh, weirdly, sometimes you need to do that to get to the thing that 
you thought you understood the previous week, but realized that you actually didn't. And, and it's a, just a, it's a weird thing. So I start to get fr like impatient after about a week. Um, but I have found that you generally need, or at least I generally need the full kind of uh, two weeks to kind of, you know, in those kind of brain trust, like what the fuck is happening in this movie meetings, <laughs> <laughs> which, which in every animated uh, movie, there are several points. Where I it's remember like, what those the fuck? meetings. Yeah. <laughs> I took notes at some of those meetings. Just imagine that. And then yeah. your job, oh, of course, is to take all those ideas on the table, find a shape, find a story, take it back to the director, right? Yep, that's exactly it. And the good part about, you know, I've been lucky enough to work with the same directors a few times. And so I have a shorthand with them. And then I can just go up to them afterwards, be like, just tell me what to do. <laughs> like, well, like, did this mean that? Are we talking about the same thing? I have a very open and honest relationship with, uh, with the, the directors I've been working with for a while. And, uh, and that I find that you need that that kind of trust, the back and forth trust, the reciprocation to and to be open and to be honest about everything. And that without that stuff, without that openness uh, and vulnerability, you're really not doing what's in service of the story. You know what I mean? You're, you're kind of guessing about what somebody else wants instead of trying to solve the right. story problem. Yeah. yeah, I do really Sorry. like working in animation because it's such a small community and you get to know people and you understand people and you can kind of, well, you know, I worked at Pixar for 10 years. So you start to understand the, how people make decisions, what their taste is, how what you can do mm -hmm. to support them. And even outside of Pixar, um, you know, there's people, there people are around, like all the people I know. So it's really fun to get to reconnect with people and you you understand because it's such a smaller community and it works so differently and so specifically around what does the director want in feature animation that's the thing that i love about being in production especially mm -hmm. is yeah. that you are part of a team and that it's not just you alone having to solve every problem in the universe and um there's a natural support built into it which is actually my favorite part of the of the whole animation process you know Hey everyone, so the new version of Final Draft, Final Draft 13, is out. And you know, the question's going around, is it worth it? Is it worth it to buy or upgrade? And our answer is yes. So I recently got notes on a pilot and I wanna see how it works in my rewrite to move a couple of scenes. And usually what I do is, you know, cut and paste, uh, which works out sometimes, but mostly it means I lose text because I move so quickly. But the new version of Final Draft has this cool feature called Navigator 2.0, where you can actually just move scenes around right in your script. So without losing something, I can see what's working, what I'm missing, or what needs to be rewritten, or you know, if I have to lose the scene altogether. But it's really, really helpful. And what's most important to me about this is that I'm not losing anything. Woohoo! Yes. I am laying out a new project, and I want to card it. And I can now do that inside of Final Draft, and it's now a super easy way. You can take those cards and then make them into an outline with a simple drag and drop. So it's just a great way to see the larger story that you're writing and get down the details, track characters. I just love it. And for our emerging writers, a great new feature is Final Draft lets you set writing goals like page count or timed writing sprints, which is super cool. So uh, we think the new version is really worth uh, investing in. So you can head over to finaldraft.com slash products to get the new version with a discount code of screenfd for 25% off. 
you should check it out. That's Screen FD. S-C-R-E-E-N-F-D. And um, you, have you ever had that experience though with the team? Because I love it too, but there is the the shadow side of that is oh yeah, you're like, okay, we finally got it together, we have a story, this is working, and then someone throws a bomb from like the bleachers. All and the you're time. like, you're like, no, 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 don't throw that bomb. Oh no, there it just hit, right? How do you handle that? Well, that's a director problem. <laughs> <laughs> so like <laughs> if, that if is the, the correct answer <laughs> yeah if if the if the bomb lands and it blows up and the director's like oh shit this this ruins every everything that we thought this movie was going to be or like you know it, what we were working on no longer makes sense then you go back in and and you dig up your sleeves and you jump into the lava but uh if the someone throws a bomb and the dire directors are like yeah whatever then you, you know it doesn't matter unless of course it sticks to you. If it sticks to you, you have to talk about it. Um, so like, what if you're at this stage where you're more in the development stage, you're all by yourself writing your script, mm -hmm. which is like live action yeah. and your own self starts to throw a bomb. Oh, do you, yeah. do you, cause I do that all the time. Where all I'm the like, time. Oh, but yeah. Is that, does that make sense? And would she do that? And sometimes like overthink myself out of the solution before I even write it down. Um, how do you handle that? I'm asking for myself for today. Well, I, I have like a, I have a bunch of friends that are writers and we constantly call each other and, uh, and scream help. <laughs> and, and sometimes it's just, you just want to say it out loud so that you right. can hear yourself yeah. say it. And then you're like, and you don't, you don't even get to the part where you're asking a question. You're like, okay, I got it. And then uh, you hang up. But so other times you just need, you need a real dose of perspective because with all of these things and writing any kind of screenplay, I find that I, you know, a hundred pages is a lot, right? A lot of stuff happens and there's a lot of complexity and it's pretty easy to get lost in the forest and to lose all perspective. You know, you, all you can see is the tree that's in front of your face and to be able to pull back by calling a friend and, and get some 5,000 foot up uh, perspective is so helpful. You know, because sometimes you think it's a problem and then you realize it's not. Or sometimes you, with a little bit of perspective, you're, you're, my, my friends will help me realize that I'm focusing on the wrong problem. My problem is actually over here. Um, I love when that happens. Yeah. yeah. It's also terrifying because then you're like, what have I been doing for the last three days? <laughs> exactly. But yeah. I had to do, this is what I yeah. have to say to myself today, but I had to do those three days in order to yeah. understand. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's yeah. true. Yeah. <laughs> or three weeks. Okay, so, Lloyd, tell us why you got into animation. Did you always want to do animation? Is there other types uh, of storytelling that you love? I Yeah, well, like, you know, I remember, Meg, you know, the three, when we worked together, you did the three movie exercise. And and my movies were E.T., Raiders of the Lost Ark, and um, I think Empire Strikes Back. And all three of those came out in the same year, I believe which was like the greatest year ever for me <laughs> when I was a kid. And I went to those movies so many times that my parents stopped bringing me and in the theater. And I had to, my poor grandmother, the volunteered. And she was like, <laughs> again, <laughs> you know? So um, yeah, I, I love movies that are big and fun that, that have a, a comedic element. But then the thing that I love the most about E.T. is that it was the first time I ever saw a movie where I like, I felt so much that like I cried 
and I cried such, I cried very, very sad tears of, of loss and mourning. And then when he came back, I cried tears of joy. And I, and I held onto that feeling so much that, it, you know, I, what, as soon as I realized that screenwriting was a thing, I was like, I think I want to do that. Um, and I wanted feel feel those feelings that those move that that movie made me feel specifically. And in terms of animation, like uh, I draw. I was an art major in college, like painting and sculpting, and and I always have drawn cartoons just for fun, doodling and this and that. So I, when I was trying to figure out what to do with my life as a creative person in the world, which is terrifying, um, I went down various different paths of like, well, maybe I'll be an animator because I like drawing. And I got about three drawings into the stretch and squash exercise of the ball where you have to draw yes. yeah. 24 drawings of, of the same thing for one second of animation. And I was like, fuck this. I, I don't like drawing that much. So he became a writer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah, I know. It, it's it, You're right. It's, it's squash it, and stretch and snap it and breaking right. and, you know, where's the Instead ball? Of, Instead yes. of squashing and stretching the ball, I'm squashing and stretching my soul. Yes. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Okay. I have a I have a question about that. So Nimona is about a shapeshifter, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And it's so so much celebrating that, but also with the challenges and the sorrows and everything, which is really spoke to me in terms of like what being a writer is, right? We shapeshift mm -hmm. into each project. Mm -hmm. And then, but like it's about, you know, getting into the it's also craft, right? finding the right shape of the thing to tell the truth about what you want to tell the truth about. Can you talk mm -hmm. a little bit about in terms of your experience as a writer and writing that movie, what that was like? Cause that's how I watched it. Like a writer, like a, a, a woman in the world for me, it was like, Oh yeah. And I've it's all these adapted. And it's yeah. And adapted. it's adapted. Right. So like I have all these different versions of myself. I have all these things, all of it's hard, all of it's wonderful, but like I'm constantly feeling squashed and stretched. Mm -hmm. Right. So it was how did you connect to this movie? It was an adaptation and then it was turned into this beautiful film, this beautiful story. Yeah. Well, um, the, the source material by N.D. Stevenson, Nimona, the graphic novel, which started as a web comic on Tumblr um, when he was in art school, like it is just a masterpiece. And it's one of those things, you know, sometimes you get this, you go in on an assignment, it's based on a comic book that three people read and the only thing it gives you is like a title and um, and kind of a world, some, if you're lucky, and maybe a character or two, and there's nothing else. And this gave us so, like, so much was baked into the DNA of the project uh, that came from the graphic novel. And then it, it, it really became about distilling those ideas into a, a movie, you know, because the, the, a graphic novel that was designed in, kind of uh, released on a weekly or w monthly basis or whatever originally, you know, there's a, the kind of episodic chunks and it's, that's more television than movie. And so, um, you know, we got together and came up with this story engine. And in, in terms of finding like, so your question is, is about shape shifting specifically or. I, that's what I responded to when I was watching yeah. it. And I'm wondering what your connection was to it. Was it that, or was it something else? Okay, the lava. Fine, the lava's coming up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My connection to it is really just like from a place of emotion. Um, and I found myself so deeply moved by what was in the the graphic novel and then 
you know, over the course of, of working on so many drafts of this movie, finding the characters and their relationships and bringing the themes forward. And, you know, I, and I learned a lot about a lot of different things um, doing this. And I, I just feel for, you know, so Nimona, the thing that gets me the most is it's two outsiders trying to find, one's trying to find his way in, right? Ballister is a, is a guy who's born on the on the wrong side of the tracks, thinks he's found his way in, and then is rejected because you're not allowed to do that, right? He's crossing some invisible line that that upsets the the, the status quo of society, and but he he has someone in his life, uh, Ambrosio's golden loin, right? Someone to be with, be there with him and share in his ups and downs and trials and tribulations. Then loses that person in this 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 uh, act of, you know, this sabotage where he's framed for murder. And Nimona is, is this force of nature who has this punk rock armor and is so hardcore and is talking about death and mayhem and destruction. And underneath it all is just someone who just wants to connect, just wants one person, right? And all that stuff, all that punk rock, fuck you, fuck you, tear it down attitude is just, that's just armor. And getting underneath that into Nimona, like who she is as a person and what she's looking for, which is just, we all need somebody else. We all need at least one other person who sees us, who understands us because we're social beings, right? And without that, we're alone. And Nimona is relentlessly optimistic throughout a thousand years of never finding that person. The world hates her for who she is. And she's holding hope, she's holding hope. I'm going to find that person. And then she finally finds that person in Ballister, or so she thinks, uh, only to have those inborn biases that we all have come out, even in her friend, um, Ballister, and for her to feel like there's no one in the world for her. And that sense of loneliness and despair, I think, just to me, on a very profound level, I, I mean, I think, like a lot of people, like when I was an adolescent, I felt alone and sad all the time. I suffered from anxiety and depression. And, um, you know, so it spoke to me on that level uh, from a personal place, but really just the, the, and the, just the way the whole story unfolds on those emotional terms is what I found so fascinating to me. And that's what pulled me in. And so mm -hmm. like, even though we wanted to make it fun and funny and, and um, that's really for me, what I always go back to. And I think there's so much, so much power in this movie. It's visual, the visual style, the the fun. It is fun. It is funny. But what you're describing is so powerful in the movie and really holds it and rudders it. And is this beautiful um, experience. I just loved it. And I thought that what you guys did so well was every metaphor in the movie is always moving back to that. There's not this sense of cacophony. There is mm -hmm. visually, right? But I just have an absolute trust in the creators of this story that everything is saying the same thing and trying to give you a different prism on it. Everything is turning back to that same beautiful thematic emotional uh, well that you're describing. Um, just so well, so incredibly well done. And so it, you make, you always Lloyd, and I'm, you know, I'm a fan of yours. You make it look mm -hmm. so easy. Oh God! <laughs> you know, I love Spies in Disguise. I love it. I love oh, thank it. Thank you so much. It. I think it's. I love that movie. You did such a great job, and you make it look so easy. And I know it wasn't easy, oh. uh, and I know it's never easy. But that is yeah. such 
high art to make it seem simple uh, and have that ease. And of course the story is going there. And of course there feels like this inevitability to it. And when you arrive, be it in Spies in Disguise or Nimona, when you arrive at that penultimate moment, it does feel like, of course, we're going to end here, but I didn't know we were going to end here. Yeah. So well done. Can you talk a little bit about world building? Um, Not my favorite thing, which is ironic. Yeah. Yet. Well, how do, do you like it? Do you not like it? You know, what? I, how do you how do you make the rules work for that emotional well that you're describing? Because the rules have to connect to that as well. Yeah, I, I actually do. I do love world building. It, like, kind of like, I don't know, the little kid inside of me kind of gets to play with my action figures, you know, when, when you're building worlds. And um, the so always what ends up happening is you end up... I end up throwing up throwing in way too much at the the first several drafts, right? Like over explain everything and and make sure everything is lining up just so, only to find out that I put in five things instead of making it about one thing. And um you, you just have to I, and that's it's just the process of writing is is you throw everything into the soup and then you pull out all the extra bullshit, you know, uh over time. And that's the process. Um, but I I the world uh, an animation, you know, takes on this kind of allegorical sense. There's a, not always, you know, in Despicable Me, like I think the world problem is really focused specifically on Groot's place in it, um, for example. But in a lot of animated movies, like Zootopia, for example, comes to mind, Wreck-It Ralph, like uh, the the world problem is the, is reflective of the theme and the character journeys and and everything else. And everything is kind of, like you said, a prismatic representation of the theme. And so when you're designing the world, you you have to think about what story you're telling and what you, like in Nimona, for example, it's about othering. And so one of the things we found in, in later drafts was that, well, how do you other someone as you keep pe people out, right? So we built this wall. And the wall keeps everything out and everyone in. And there's there's rules about who gets out, who gets in. And then on top of that, we added these guns pointed outside to keep them out, right? Which then, of course, in the end, are turned inside because of the the villain's mm -hmm. fanaticism doubling down on the anti-theme. And um, so there are little, you start, it's just brick by brick, you know? And, and ultimately, I think, what and as you guys know you know you think you know the theme of a movie for like three years and then mm -hmm. on the fourth year you find out it's completely different than what you thought it is mm -hmm. and then you kind of have to go go back and reverse engineer things but like once or start over whatever but like once you find that theme everything tends to become much more clear mm -hmm. right and so in terms of what you need uh in, in setting up the world becomes more clear too, which I think, you know, throwing all those ingredients into the soup in early drafts over explaining everything is really a symptom of not knowing exactly what your theme is. Right. So I have a project in animation and I'm the showrunner. I'm going to direct it. Right. But I, you know, you have to develop art for it. Right. Yeah. So part of that for me is working with amazing artists and sort of figuring out how the world and how the characters 
reflect the theme because I get to talk about here's what I'm looking for. Here's what's important to me. Right. And I get to figure out a little bit that way as well um, with the, the art of it. Right. And as a writer in feature animation, are you also involved in the art? Uh, uh, I like I know the answer to this, but I'm, I'm wondering like what your experience is. You know, you're talking about the wall and sometimes there's that it's the collaborative feedback. Right. Like how much does that inform yeah. putting in the script? Well, that like going back to what I was talking about in terms of like the 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 team sport nature of animation. Mm -hmm. Like, I love working with the artists, and part of it's just maybe is because like I love what they do. I'm so, as someone who at one point wanted to maybe do something like that and mm -hmm. couldn't, I'm so impressed by by them, you know, and um, I'm fascinated by by what they're able to do with so little. Sometimes it's incredible. So I I love the. But in terms of your question, Lorian, to answer your question, it I love the dialogue back and forth. So the the wall became started as an idea in writing, and and then, um, then one of the directors had the idea about the guns, and uh, you know, and and the the artists made the guns so much the way they positioned them allowed them to kind of rotate, and then and this idea arised like, oh, well, if they can rotate, what if they rotate inwards? You know what I mean? So it's this kind of ongoing conversation where where every every player on the team is doing their part and you're bringing the ball closer to the goal for lack of a, a better analogy. And in feature animation, these conversations are happening as you're in production, right? Yes. I just like this isn't all like development. This is development is actually production in a way when you're writing and doing stories. So just to be yeah. clear, like, this is why animation movies can take as long as they do, because two years before your film out, you know, and you've got sequences in animation, you're like, Oh my God, what if the guns rotate in, you know, and then yeah. you have to figure out strategically the writer, right. Mm -hmm. Isn't that part of your job to figure out, you know, there are sequences in animation that you can't mess with. So yeah. then you have to go in and like, okay, well, where can we establish this? What assets? That's do we have like it's a it's a complex ongoing long thing that can be amazing and infuriating <laughs> if you're on the project the whole time all the way through to film out yeah, yeah i mean it is it's so intense at times and you know you're throwing a, a hot potato that's so hot it's on fire and you gotta hold it and and and, and figure out what to do with it there's no one else around to throw it to at times so it, and you have to is, be the calm one because everybody else yeah. is screaming, Bernie potato, Bernie potato. And you have to be like, it's like, totally fine. Right. I'll figure it out. Even though inside I'm screaming, Bernie potato. <laughs> no, it's true. It is true. You, you know, although my game face isn't always the best. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes everyone knows I'm holding a, a burning potato, um, but that's okay. Um but yeah, you you have to take that burning potato and and make French fries out of it as it's scalding your hands and whatever. I think we killed this metaphor. Well, that's like why it. they that's why they I send like you it. off somewhere with a delightful right. potato dish somewhere to give you inspiration, and they feed cookies to you, and you know they're like, okay, we're gonna leave yeah. the writer in this little cave with all the food, and when they come out, they're gonna come out with some magic pages that fixes all our problems, and right. then somehow you do it. <laughs> that's right, and that. Yeah, the 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 pages just get fixed over time. Like, you know, that's what the thing about animation as a metaphor for writing in general is that it's so obvious how you make something good, which is just take the time. Take the time and 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 do the drafts and you, you know, that's 
true of all writing and, and animation just really drags it out to make to make it super obvious you know what i what i like about animation versus what i'm stuck in right now which is in my own head you know yeah. i can if i'm alone or even i'm with a writing partner we can talk about it for a long time we can card it we can drag down the cards we can outline it but in animation because you have all these other departments at some point you just got to pick and go and even though yeah. you intuitively in your gut know this doesn't work yet we haven't yeah. gotten there we're not at the bottom this doesn't line up the rules don't quite make sense you still yeah. just have to get a version out and That's then right. get feedback and go back. And some part of me in live action when I'm all by myself is resistant to doing that because I'm like, but it's a waste of time. I already know it doesn't work. And uh, it's it's almost like having to become blind, <laughs> like literally not just to become almost naive so that mm -hmm. you can have the experience and let the dreamer write the draft. I mean, I give this advice all the time on the show and yet here I am stuck and not doing it because well, I, I just want it to work. I wonder, Meg, if that has to do with the fact that, like, you're the way you open the show is talking about how the 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 process in live action now is a slightly different than it used to be, and that you have to hand in basically, in air quotes, a perfect draft. You know yes, what I it's mean? Breaking my brain. This idea that the judge, the 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 bar is so high. Uh, you know, they'll say things like "we're holding hands," but there's no hand holding. You know, right. if, if you don't have ideas of how to what we're doing and you only have the things that are wrong that's not <laughs> so it is at that pressure you're really it's a really insightful thing of what's shutting me down and freaking me out and telling about the angst is the bar feels so high that I don't but that's why we just have to do it internally we're just going to have to start rotating through those bad drafts internally uh because what else are you going to do um, yeah. All right. So let me ask you this question. What I, I really had a challenge with as a live action writer going to animation was kind of what makes a great animated scene? Like there's nothing worse than handing a storyboard artist a scene to draw and on their face, you can tell they're not excited to draw it. <laughs> Because yeah. it's either going to be that just never happened, Meg. Come on, oh, I yeah, was never. there. Never happened. Yeah, never. either because you wrote something that's so dialogue heavy that it's basically just people moving their mouths, or for you, do you love that part of animation of how active it is, or how do you know what's a great scene for animation? Um. Well, it has to be dynamic, right? And it, it depends on what what part of the script you're writing. Like you know, act. Act 2A has to be dynamic. Pieces are moving. How do you make this idea visually interesting, funny, and fun, given that this is what they're doing, right? And how do you make, how do you put your character in as much trouble as possible? How do you get them up to their neck and force them to dig themselves out in a funny, compelling, visually dynamic way where the, the goal is always kind of, you know, shifting or moving or whatever? Um, I guess a good example, like a good metaphor for kind of, the thing that I, I think about this all the time when I'm trying to design a scene in that section, which is the the opening sequence of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, where they're in that bar in Shanghai or something, and like he gets poisoned, the antidote falls on the floor, and it's it, with all the ice, and it looks like an ice cube, and it's getting kicked around, you know, and everyone's trying to. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yes, it's yes, like, yes. Oh yeah, it's, it's like I'm watching it as you're describing it. <laughs> I too have often watched that movie. Oh, way too many times. <laughs> yeah. And I watch it specifically for that sequence. You know, like it's just so fun and dynamic. You don't have that much time. You don't have 20 minutes to do your whole 
kind of like a magnum opus set piece that is independent of the, the rest of the story you're telling. So, but like just thinking about how things move around and where the, like, you know, you think you have it, then you don't, and then this happens and then that happens. Like the, the little mini reversals inside of a scene, um, you know, and, and then you you hand it off to a storyboard artist and hope that they understand what you're saying. Right. Uh, but the, the the moments that I really love writing are the quiet moments where, where ironically, not a lot visually is happening. The uh, the kind of intense, you know, that whatever, the, 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 the scenes that require the most air around them to resonate, I, the emotional moments, I, those are the ones that are, usually my favorite to write and and maybe that goes back to my et uh being number one on my list is is feeling those feelings you know so how um, do you balance that because i love to write action right like someone gets stabbed or like i love because then that's a distraction right i feel like i'm writing an active character what happens then is sometimes i'll write something that's like really dynamic and all these things are happening. And I realized like, oh, it was entertaining, but I didn't feel anything, even in my own writing, even when I know where it's supposed to be, right? Cause mm -hmm. I'm so afraid sometimes of connecting to that emotional place. And I know this is not uncommon. So like, how do you, how are, how did you learn how to do that? It sounds like you're like, you've mastered this at some point, right? Like you're like, I know I love this. I own it. This is my joy. But like, what advice would you give me in how to like, identify those moments and sink into that lava and like be okay with it? Well, the, the quiet moments are not the moments with all that stuff happening, right? Um, and I also think it, it's okay to have set pieces in act two A that are predominantly there for entertainment. I think that's totally fine. And, and I like doing that too. Um, but if you're doing that, so that you don't have to get to the 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 moments where your lava. I'm not aware up. of it at when I'm yeah. writing, right? Yeah. It's not until later when I read it and I'm like, huh, I don't care. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, if you don't care, that's an act one problem. <laughs> you know, yeah, you got to go back it. to act one. That's not what I need to hear right now as I'm working on this yeah. rewrite of this yes. feature. That You know what? Yes. No. I take the question all the way back to the beginning. Nope. And I'm writing <laughs> it down. If you don't care. Put it on yeah. a t-shirt. It's an actually, problem if you don't care. It's absolutely what I have identified. I just didn't want to do it because it's a lot of fucking work to take I this know. feature back down and figure out how to convince my audience. Well, actually, no, to convince myself that I am the right person to tell the story and that I have to let her be who she is in order to get to the moment, which I've put on page two where mm -hmm. she does something very violent, you know, like I, I have to, <laughs> she has to earn it. You know, I thought it was being like, when I wrote this a long time ago, I was like, it's shocking. It'll grab mm -hmm. the audience. And sure it does. But like, you don't fucking care. You're not invested in her. Fine. Act one problem. I wrote it down. Thanks so much for the advice, Lloyd. Ah, <laughs> more work for me. I'm going to be doing the same thing for myself this week. So yeah. Well, good. Then I'll call you and I'll be like, Lloyd, <laughs> we, I need some help. <laughs> All right. So I have a question about the how and why of the LGBTQ themes. Like, mm -hmm. I just thought it was so, 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 I loved it so much. The, mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm, I'm assuming this is coming from the graphic novel. Um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about in the development of it, the process of it? Yeah. So uh, Andy Stevenson, who wrote the graphic novel, uh, is, uh, is trans. And uh, they, uh, when they wrote it, 
I don't think, you know, he has said that this is, he didn't, wasn't necessarily aware that this was his story until kind of looking back on it. And um, the shapeshifter thing, not fit, fitting into kind of any, any box and having society want to put you in a box are themes that were present in the graphic novel and, and so important. And, and we wanted to, to bring those as much forward as possible. And in the, the graphic novel, the, the relationship between Ballester and Goldenloin is kind of ambiguous. It's like, were, are they together? Were they together? We don't know, you know, probably, maybe not so sure. And uh, it became obvious to us as we were solving for the story that if we're gonna, if we're saying that this is what this is, we have to actually do it. And to bring those themes all the way to the surface and to make it a story about people who just happen to be gay. You know, it, we didn't want it to be the point of the story. We also didn't want it to be um, the kind of the gratuitous gay characters that you see where like someone's checking a box off. Like, see, look, it's a, a gay side character that is gay for five seconds. Um, we wanted it to just be part of the story and baked into it. And so the 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 thing about this world, and we're also making, I think, a statement about um, worlds in general, right? Like every world, every society, no matter what, what you society you live in has good parts and bad parts. And this society for all of its flaws, which are numerous, and that's the point of the whole movie, right? It, it, is that one of the things that it is not is it doesn't seem to be racist and it doesn't seem to be homophobic. So, you know, um, so it, it's evolved in certain ways, but in other ways, it's still very medieval, which goes in with the, the, the visual setting and the world, yeah. which goes back yeah. to your question. Um, but we wanted to make it a story, the story that it deserved to be. And, uh, you know, uh, so it, it just became more and more obvious. We had these, um, amazing town hall meetings at Blue Sky Studios, RIP, um, where the entire studio was invited in to, to voice their opinions about, you know, their experiences, um, people in the LGBTQ community. Um, Andy Stevenson was a part of the process the whole time. And, and we listened to everyone. And that's a lot of that stuff comes out of people's real experiences. And um, and I think maybe that's why it's connecting on such a personal level for people, because it it's coming from a real place. Yeah, I love that's that. Great. You guys. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, and I think listening to people, right? You're listening, and as a writer in feature animation, it's so much of what you're doing, right? You're listening oh, yeah. to the director. You're listening, meaning watching, interacting. You sort of have to be involved in the process, but also very outside the process as the writer in a way. And so that, those skills are so important to have when you're stepping into an animated project as a writer. I've watched it happen many times and Meg has done it very gracefully and I'm sure you have as well. And very ungracefully sometimes. <laughs> yeah. There's been a couple of days. But, you know, I mean, it is a, it is a very big um, thing, but like listening and observing and and being someone who is willing to be open to those process, to, to conversations that you might be uncomfortable with or might not understand, right? Learning, which is as yeah. much important as learning craft, as learning how to do a thing. Um, it's so critical to 
animate. I mean, as a writer, but especially in animation. Um, Which leads so, me to another. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Lauren. Oh, I was going to ask, right? Like what? I think it's the same question we were going to ask, which is for people who want to write and feature animation. Ah, uh, yeah. What advice do you have? Because um, I, yeah. There is still not a clear understanding among a lot of people how different writing for animation is than it is with feature animation. We've talked a lot about it on the show, and I don't think we need to get into like the nitty gritty of it, but like say no one has any experience in animation, but they're like, one day I want to write an animated movie. What should they be doing? Well, I think, you know, t dealing with the world and, and you know, you you can do anything. So you should do something, you know, it shouldn't just be, you know, at a convenience store necessarily, unless you open the door and like, it's the gateway to a secret world. I don't know. Um, but like, you know, make the world big, make it different, make, you know, lean into visual iconography and symbolism and, and have that enforce, reinforce your theme and speak of your theme. And I, I'm a, like, I'm a huge proponent of, and you guys talk about this all the time, just the theme driving your story, right? The, the theme gives you everything that you need. Um, it gives you your characters, it gives you their arcs, it gives you the villain, uh, it gives you these key, it gives you kind of a neighborhood to, to study in the, these key critical moments, the quiet moments, as I called them, like, what what's the story you're actually telling? Um, it's a great guideline to lean into, which isn't to say that it can't change or this and that, um, but the theme is, figure out what your theme is from the get-go, make sure that your characters represent that theme, make sure you know what you wanna say. And then another thing that, that I think is to think about in, in terms of animation is like, well, the characters obviously represent the theme, um, but the characters in animation, because they tend to be pushed and exaggerated, uh, for example, like a, a cowboy and, and, a, and a space commander, whatever, right? Um, that are actually talking toys. This That's not real life. <laughs> and so because they're pushed, they end up being kind of a literal symbolic representation of your story encapsulated in a character. Um, you know, uh, and, and I think that, so again, those characters have to play into your world and vice versa. It's like a, they have to in, in, inform each other and make sure your theme is representative of, of the characters that you're playing with. You know, the lesson that Woody is going to learn is not the same lesson as, as Marlon's going to learn in Finding Nemo. Um, uh, I also think that a, a really helpful thing to do is because these characters are so symbolic is to lean into irony as, as like a great way to pry out more from the character, more from the story. Like, you know, because everything's so exaggerated, if you give it that ironic thing, all of a sudden you understand more like a, a little bird who's afraid of flying, for example, right? All of a sudden, you know what he's, why the bird, what the bird's supposed to do, what the world expects of him, why he, you know, what, what he needs to do to overcome this, this, character flaw that he has you know what his flaw is you know uh you know all sorts of things about the world and the the character that are just with this one little twist right somebody's supposed to do something and then doesn't for some emotional reason and that gives you your whole story and you can just start populating things around that i think you know i think all the best movies are driven by a strong theme but you can also have great movies that aren't really necessarily theme driven in live action and in animation I think if you don't have a strong theme, you're going to, it's not going to resonate. 
for whatever reason. I don't know why. Um, maybe it's because these things are just, they, they are so symbolic and iconic and they speak to us. There's that distancing mechanism mm, where yeah. they're, they're us, but they're not us. So you're, yeah. you're already in the realm of allegory and metaphor. Yes. And, and, and I wonder, so we process them in a slightly different way. I, I, I think that might be why. I think um, emotional so sneak attack. Yes. That's Very what it is. <laughs> it is. It is all metaphor in symbolism already. So that's really, that's really insightful. Yeah. Um, now here's the more pedantic question, but we, I get yeah. it all the time and I'm just, I haven't been in the loop on it in a little while. So if somebody wants to break into animated features, yeah. should they be writing live action or animation? Um, I say write whatever you feel like you have to write. And, and just because that's, that would be your best script, right? Uh, if, if something is coming from you because you need to write it, it will be the best thing that you write. If, if, um, and if that's animated, like the first thing that I ever wrote was an animated screenplay. And it got me my agent, my manager, my lawyer and my first job, despite the fact that animated movies do not, there's no such thing as a spec animated movie. I had no idea when, when I wrote it, but it, it's, it came through Could you say that me. again? Could you say, yeah, that, say again, that again, please, for audience? There's a, there is no such thing as a, a market, a spec market for animated scripts. You can write it, but what you're actually doing, no one's going to buy your animated script. No one. No one will ever buy it. So what you're actually doing is writing your, your calling card. Yes. You're writing some something that announces yourself to the world. This is who I am. This is what I write. This is what I want to write. And that, like it did for me, it got me representation. It got me noticed by producers and studio executives or whatever. And they now they can, you know, everyone loves to put people in a box in Hollywood. And for better or worse, like all of a sudden they know what box to put you in. And it becomes easier for them to figure out what to do with you. Every your your both representatives and the different, you know, buyers or studios or whatever. But no one will buy, you know, everyone's like, well, what do I do with my script? How do I sell it? You don't. <laughs> You're doing this because you love it, because you have to, because the story is inside of you. And hopefully someday something will happen to you. If you want to sell it. If you want to sell your script, write a an, uh, live action thing. No guarantee that it will, but there is a spec market in live action. Yeah. I think yeah, that but... is, I'm so glad you brought that up because that happened. Like, I want to make this movie and it's like, that's not how animation works. And it's so hard to explain that. Like the big studios don't take outside pitches. They read samples to hire writers. You yeah. Know, it's, it's much different. A, lo a lot of these places are, are director driven, which means that these directors have stories that they want to tell um, or they have and IP if, that they've purchased that they want to turn yeah, and into. And they've all got their own things that they want. Sometimes like when I optioned a book, I got very lucky in that the director, I approached a director who happened to not have her next idea and she loved the book and then you're doing it together. Right. So it's not mm. a spec. I didn't spec it, but, and but I had some writing background. This is before inside out. But enough that she, you know, was willing to say, okay, you would be the writer. And she, in essence, she's specking it with me, right? Because she's yeah. a director and that you have a chance, right? But they have to be a pretty well-known director and you're all going to say, how do I get to them? And the answer is you don't until you have that sample mm -hmm. that is so amazing and the IP and then the agent or whoever says, 
I think she could, you know, and then they put you together, right? So mm -hmm. I, it's so important what Lloyd is saying that these are your calling cards. That's what you're making right now is your calling cards to get other work in the future so that people know who you are and what you do well and what your brand is and how, what to team you up with. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. <laughs> so on that note. <laughs> I know however, it's so depressing. Let's say something happy. But, but something however, happens. what you're writing, like you said, Lloyd, is a piece of you. And it's something that um, a director or development team will read in your script and be like, oh, my God, they get how to tell this kind of story. They understand how to write an animated movie. They have the themes and the metaphor. And then they say, great, this is the best writer for this job. We're going to pair them up with this director, right? So it's not just how to get your door in. It's an opportunity to showcase who you are, what you're good at. It's exactly the same thing as a, as a spec, you know, a sample yeah. for live action. If you're trying to get the attention of a showrunner in TV, you write a, a spec script, right? You write your own pilot. If you're trying yeah. to get animation experience, you're, you're, you want to write something that is like you said like is you that's what you're trying to do and it is not outside the realm of possibility that one day when you've got enough experience and exposure and you know uh the right people behind you and with you you can still make that movie one day it's not to say that you're writing something that will never right. be made it can be a passion right. project you're not selling it to anyone when you send it to them to be read as a sample yeah that's totally right at, at the end of the day it's about how you best represent yourself into the world. And by the way, no one wants to hear this either, but becoming a professional screenwriting writer is a long, thankless, arduous task, and it does not happen overnight. And, and you'll it's be ongoing. Doing, it's ongoing. Be, yeah. <laughs> if, even when someone starts paying you, all the problems you had beforehand apply, and then and some doubles. new ones. And yeah. they double. And they yeah. double in intensity. <laughs> Yeah, it's but, so uh, great. Everyone should do it. Hooray. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and only... it is great. Here's why it's great. Because you get to be, you go through all of that arduousness every time. Uh, and then you get to make a movie like Nimona. Yeah. Which is rippling out into the world and touching people, affecting people. Yeah. Um, it's really, it's quite a spectacular film. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. And I we think a... my husband cried when he watched it. And the last time he cried in a movie, <laughs> I think, was at the rap party for Up. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that's amazing. I mean, we... he he's a, he's an emotional guy, but it takes a lot. So it was Nimona that really that really yanked his guts out. So are, thank are you, you for that. Great responses. Like when yeah. people find out you wrote it, what's happening? Oh, yeah. It's 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 like at the Annie Awards, for example. I'm not on any social media because I procrastinate and I know myself. And so I'm like a ghost. Cause if I were on the, I have an internet blocker called self-control because I don't have any, uh, that I, it <laughs> turns off the internet from like 10 in the morning till six at night, except for email and Apple music. And um, if I, so I don't know anything what's happening in the world of social media and there's all this noise. Some, some of it filters back into me. Um, Cause you know, anecdotally through other people that worked on Nimona and stuff. But at the Annie Awards, all sorts of people came up to me and 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 just wanted to talk to me about the movie. And it was really and, and how it affected them and it impacted them. And it's really kind of a remarkable experience and it exceeded my wildest dreams in terms of my work going out into the world uh, and 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 having an effect on people's lives, you know. And that's and uh, I do want to say lovely. that. My co-writer, Robert Baird, other writers that were there uh, working on this, amazing. Uh, the, 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 
the director is incredible um and the the source material and so it's like a it's a team sport it was not just you know not just me of course but that's that especially if you're an animation writer it's always i got to be a part of this team i got to lift this story and help it birth yeah. the universe you know it's always that's that's the goal right that's the you're going through these arduous tasks and all the stuff we talk about here about the reality because when you do do that you can be part of that team that is able to create that ripple and it is rippling. It's a beautiful, gorgeous movie. Yeah, it's, it's really, okay, really great. Thank you. I have one more question for you about animation. Yeah. And we don't yeah. have to include this in the show if it's a silly sure. question, but so go, go for it. Up was my very first animated movie from, you know, like the very early days to all the way through. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the script and development and edit and sort of tangentially in other departments, but it wasn't until I saw a scene fully lit. Oh, where yeah. I was it's like, it's oh, so crazy. I fucking get it. Like the lighting breaks your heart and there is a piece of it that you you don't see and you know you see boards or layout or even in rough anim like you just don't see it until it is lit and there is this magic moment when I saw that first scene and it was what made me after years <laughs> be like oh I fucking love animation because oh, it is yeah. this multi-layered crap right it's all these artisans like 300 plus people working on it and when it all comes together in lighting you're like oh, it's just it's, this moment it was really powerful for me it's it's a magic trick and it reminds me of the story written by uh frank and ollie whatever the the two of the seven old, old nine men yeah, old, yeah two of the old nine men yeah. called the illusion of life and and mm -hmm. like when they light it this this stuff that has been kind of like you're like, oh, I get it, right? All of a sudden, it comes to life, and mm -hmm. and and it takes my breath away uh, because mm -hmm. it is like it is a magic trick. The, the yeah. difference is so subtle, and yeah. yet it, it makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, um, yeah. I, it, I got to be I, in I the lighting team. I I was the lighting team manager on Inside Out, so I got to actually see it and how all of it works in the background. But it still didn't take away the magic. Like even knowing how the sausage is made for animated movies, it's still like, oh no, there's still these yeah, beautiful so, works of art. Yeah, it, it's so weird. Like you know, you go and do these test screenings or you like internal screenings or whatever, and all the caveats at, at the beginning. You know, right. the, these are drawings by different artists. There's a temp score, temp temp voice actor. Uh, you know, some some things are in uh, layout, so you'll see some rough animation. Da -da. We don't we don't care about any of that, right? We just want to know how the story is working, and right. and then you get to the end of it, and the first five questions are like, well, there was there was different animation, the 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 score didn't work. It sounded like that was from like far and away or something, and uh, you know, and even I, as the writer who know I know how all this works, I'm like, yeah, they got a point, you know, it's like. <laughs> Even I can't remove myself from what's from looking at what's in front of me. Right. Uh, and it's so hard to see what it is until it becomes itself, which is what and I think, like you said, Lauren, in the in yeah. the lighting process. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and by the way, that goes for the writers out there as well, especially emerging writers. But for all writers, there's no way to know what your story is until it shows itself. And there's no way to know what kind of writer you are until you do that work and it starts to become clear. Right who you oh, are, so what true. kind of writer you are. Um, it's it's true for all the arts and for all the peoples. Lloyd, I knew I was going to love having you on the show because oh. you are always fun and always so smart. So thank you so much for being oh, here. Now, you, since you. you're a fan, you know what our, you know our last three questions. Yeah. So uh, I'll start. 
Uh, what brings you the most joy when it comes to writing? Like I said, writing the end the first time, because it means I've climbed the mountain once and and it, and I can probably do it again. <laughs> I love it. Great. Yeah. All right. So uh, what pisses you off about writing? Um, Everything. Is that is that fair? Is that bullshit? Uh, I mean, I, I connect with your answer. Totally. The most. The, the most. most. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, Lloyd, the last question we ask is, um, if you could go back and have a copy with your younger self, um, what advice would you give that Lloyd? Fucking go for it. <laughs> I love it. That's a I mug. Could... That's a mug. Fucking yeah. go for it. There you go. Yeah. I'm very into <laughs> merchandising. You know, I'm very into that. <laughs> I love it's that. Mug. Fucking go for what it. Was, I love it. What was the younger Lloyd doing that he wasn't fucking going for? Well, younger Lloyd was terrified. I, I grew up in New York's in New York. My dad was like a businessman, which I don't even I don't even know if regular businessmen exist anymore. But he <laughs> he like put on an, a suit and go to an office and then come back and briefcase, and, like a square, like hard yeah, briefcase. Okay. Just exactly. sure, yeah. And I, I, all my life I knew I wanted to do something creative and I just didn't couldn't figure out how the hell I was make going to make a living and it and my parents also couldn't figure it out and it terrified the hell out of them so as i was like as i graduated from college and was trying to like birth my adult self into the world i just fucking flailed i flailed so hard for like 10 years uh, and after 10 years i was like i guess i have to be a writer um and i wanted to be a writer the whole time but i was so terrified that if i did it and sucked at it then it couldn't have been the thing that I that I pointed at yeah. as the thing that I could have done. Yes. Right. Yes. Like, oh well, I, I could have been a writer, but for X Y Z, which so you was like to keep the dream alive. Right? That's if right. You don't do it. Yeah. And right. um, so I just would tell myself to fucking go for it and not listen to my parents. I mean, God bless them. They they're worried, and I have having kids of my own. I'm like, don't be a writer. But uh, <laughs> oh yeah, but, my daughter wants to be a director, and I'm like, oh, oh yeah. or. Or you could be the paleontologist you wanted to be when you were five. We could do that. <laughs> right. And to just fucking go for it and be the writer to the to yourself too, right? Like you're just yeah. gonna have to try. Yeah, you have to, you have to yeah, if you have to do it, you have to do it. There's no way around it. You know? Mm. And think, um yeah. good. I was just gonna say what I was whining about at the top of the show is really the answer is just fucking go for it. Fucking pick. Pick a pony. Pick what project I'm going to work on today. Just start fucking doing anything instead of worrying so much about what I'm going to do. Right. right. I have because to that's, go we, for the it. The overwhelm can be avoidance. Yeah. 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 Okay, fine. Whatever. Another therapy lesson for me on every damn show was <laughs> like, okay, fine. I'll just go fucking right. Jesus Christ, everybody. Fine. I, know. The I, I would, I would love for someone to give me a different answer than just right. <laughs> Maybe one day we'll get a guest who will say, just have a souffle. And then all this, it'll Go all be on finished. vacation. Right. Go on vacation. Spend all, all yeah. your money. Yeah. I literally, right. I, need to, I need to hear it today too, because it's like going in circles and we just have to fucking write. We just have to yeah. write. Yeah. The only way through is through. Lloyd, thanks so much for being Thank here. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I love the show. This has been so much fun. Thank you so much. Thanks so much to Lloyd for joining us today. If you haven't caught Nimona, it's on Netflix. High, high recommend. And remember, you are not alone and keep writing. <laughs>